You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about. Okay, nine o'clock, an hour later than normal. Um, but here we are, Sports Therapy Association podcast. How are you doing? Um, it is nine o'clock tonight um, because our guest uh, is joining us from Melbourne. Um, Melbourne, what's Melbourne? Melbourne, um, who basically just getting up for a Wednesday morning. It's um, about 10 hours ahead there. So that's why we're an hour later. Just making himself a cup of coffee there. I can see him settling into the morning. Um, so there we go. Looking very much forward to that. Uh, my name is Matt Phillips, uh, creator of Run Chat Live, and yes, you're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, um, and we're very excited shortly to be bringing you Raphael uh, Bender, um, all the way from Melbourne, Melbourne, who's going to be talking about um, evidence-based Pilates, a little chat through the era of Pilates. It's going to be a really, really useful episode. Um, if you are joining us live, then feel free to ask questions. Um, you can do that by just hitting that comment button. You can do that whether you are in the Sports Therapy Association Facebook page or if you are um, joining us via the YouTube stream as well, you can do that. Um, if you are listening to the podcast, um, then thank you very much. Appreciate it. If you could leave a little rating, that would be even nicer and a review because it really helps us just appear higher up in the in the Google search and things. Um, that'd be really nice. If you're on an iPhone, it should take you about 20 seconds. You've got no excuses. If you're on Android, it's going to take you about a minute. And I think you have to go to iTunes. So I understand if you can't do that. Um, I never do. Um, so there you go. But um, yeah, appreciate all you iPhone users. That'd be great. Okay, before we actually do start um, this evening's show, um, we're just going to spend um, a few moments here just in respect and support for the family and friends of the amazing Paula Clayton, who tragically passed away um, a couple of days ago following a battle uh, with thyroid cancer. I know a lot of the Sports Therapy Association members um, have probably met Paula or, or at least listened to her. Um, a fantastic, inspirational member of our industry who's done so much and helped so many people. Um, um, touched the hearts of everyone and um, had the good fortune of meeting her and uh, and yeah, yeah Paulie you're always in our hearts and minds it's really sad I'm feeling it now um, but yeah so just a few moments silence and uh, for those of you listen to the podcast we will be back after 20 seconds or so The wonderful Paula Clayton. Um, anyway, so right, continuing with uh, tonight's show then. Um, before I do, um, a massive thanks to last week's guest, uh, Pura Singh. Those of you who haven't listened to that yet um, or seen it, it's on YouTube. Um, and also, obviously, it's available on all podcast apps. Um, it's such a great hour. I know I say that for every guest, and I'll be saying it for tonight's guest, and I'll say it for the next 73 guests as well but it was such such a great hour such a great educator such a great human being um hugely experienced um therapist osteopath who's worked um across so many different sports um for through golf um member of um who's the head osteopath for um team athletics gb so experience of working in tokyo and also in rio um, also consulted osteopath to Birmingham City football for the last 11 years and, and more football teams who I can't remember because, as you know, I know nothing about football. But on top of all that, a wonderful human being. And he dropped some huge common sense bombs, but just framed in a way which which meant so much to therapists. And I appreciate all the feedback that you've given to me um, and emailed through. 
Um, and basically showing how by working with the elites, there's a massive take home messages of how we can best serve our recreational athletes as well. So like I say, if you didn't see it uh, with our guest Pura Singh, then check it out on YouTube if you like the video. If you want to see our pretty faces, a great beard he's got. I mean, yeah, he's a Sikh, so obviously it's there for a reason, but a fantastic beard. Uh, we did talk about that off air. Um, and uh, yeah, it's available there on podcast apps as well. Um, so thank you very much. Right then, I've left him down for long enough in the dark, shadowy, tomb-like infrastructure that is our Belive lobby. Um, so I'm very excited tonight. All about Pilates, people. Um, anybody who's been around as long as me probably saw the storm that uh, Pilates was part of in the kind of early 2000s. Um, and has it? does it change since then? Has it changed since then? Can we still use it? Is it a dirty word? Can you say core stability now without having people jumping on their soapboxes and throwing things from their Twitter pedestals and things? I don't think you can. Maybe you should be able to. Um, so that's something we're going to be talking about. And to do it, um, I've got um, one of the most respected and um, evidence-based Pilates trainers i can think of uh, and the pleasure of bringing up who is Raphael or raf as he's affectionately known um bender all the way from melbourne so without further ado i shall bring raf up and we'll say hi hey raf how you doing hey matt i'm awesome how are you <laughs> i'm awesome um yeah great to meet you mate mate great to speak to you i'm only laughing because anybody's listened to the podcast which i totally recommend pilates elephant um then uh, yeah it's always how are you raf i'm awesome yeah i'm, not gonna lie, I'm awesome so good to meet you, mate thanks very much for coming along um as always people i mean i know a lot of you are aware of raf um if you've got any questions directly then just fill it out and that goes with you on youtube or in the facebook group or just write it in the comments and we can bring it up for example already the room is full of people some people like this later time alistair cunningham has joined us hey alistair how are you doing sarah jones is here um catherine rhyme has said hi everyone i've had a little nap thanks for sharing catherine um so i'll stay awake a little longer people have made adjustments to their circadian rhythms to actually be here tonight thank you catherine that's much um appreciated brian's in the house as usual how are you doing brian thanks for joining us um alex um no at the sports massage who is it? it's got at the sports massage can't remember the name of the person now anyway they say hi all the late start has worked out well today great um and becky as well um and gary founder of the sta is in here as well so there you go thanks for joining us people i appreciate an hour later knocking your normal schedules out of the way um let's get rid of that for now so raf um what time is it in melbourne did i get it right is it like seven uh yeah just gone seven seven a.m yeah Exactly. Um, I, I extra appreciate you turning up because your partner in crime, Chloe Bunter, your co-host on uh, Pilates Elephant, basically said it was just raffle dukes. It's too early for me. That's um, that's your friend talking there. Um, left you alone to it. Um, so thanks for that, Chloe. Lovely. Thank you for that. Um, congratulations, mate, on the on the Pilates Elephants podcast. I know you said, oh, mate, don't talk about that podcast. We're not all about this, but it is about that um, for us, for our audience. Um, been around about a year, is it now? Uh, yeah, we're up to episode, I think, 52 or three or something like that. Um, it's, it, yeah, it's been a very su surprising to Chloe and me, the success of the podcast. Like, it literally was just Chloe and I used to chat on the phone, you know, pretty regularly and just have a rave about whatever. And um, then one day we just said, hey, why don't we record this and make it a podcast? <laughs> and we did. <laughs> And um, not not with any uh, expectation that anyone would be terribly interested in it. Um, and uh, it, but people have been terribly interested, and I think we're up to uh, something like uh, fifty thousand downloads uh, so far, and we're doing about you know, a couple of thousand a week now. Um, so for a, for a podcast that. You know, I mean, we basically don't do any marketing or anything for it. It's just Chloe and I get together once a week and have a rave. Um, and then we bring on, you know, occasionally we bring on guests. Um, and it's totally unscripted and we just, you know, jam it out. Um, yeah, it's really surprised me, the success of it. It's resonated with a lot of people. I'm going to ask you in a second um, why you think that success has come. I'll give you a couple of moments to think about that. Um, but uh, for those of you who are watching it, if you listen to the podcast, you can't see. Obviously, it comes up on the screen. We're just showing a screenshot so you can see the artwork. Pilates Elephants is the name of the podcast. And obviously, it's available on Apple Podcasts. But I'm Android and I managed to hook up with it 
on uh, Pocket Casts. You can't get it on Acast for some reason, but yeah, if you're Android, then uh, you can check it out by going into Pocket Casts, and well worth it is checking out too. Um, yeah, mate, what what do you think the what do you put the success down to? I know what I think it is, but what do you think? Um, well, I think it's I think it's probably two things. Uh, probably three things, I reckon. One is, I think, you know, I mean, obviously, Chloe and I have got a real nice connection and it's we just have fun and we just have a fun conversation. And so I think, you know, a lot of people have said to us that they just enjoy the kind of the banter and the, the friendship and the having a laugh and all that kind of stuff. Um, and the second thing is, uh, I think, you know, what we do is we essentially ask questions that I think a lot of people are asking privately in their own mind. Um, but are too afraid to voice publicly because they because they're worried that they'll be uh, they'll transgress against some kind of taboo um, by by questioning things um, and we voice it publicly and then people give a great sigh of relief and go oh I'm not the only one you know um, and so I think that really really resonates with people. Without a doubt, I would put it. I was going to say Chloe first of all is top reason, but then the second thing, yeah, is definitely uh, uh, the banter between you guys and the way you present it. I've always said like, there's enough information out there now. There's enough CBD to sort out the healthcare system across the world. There's so much great information out there now, and we've moved so well, and we got so we can we can tweak so many things to make it so much better. But a lot of that information is just inaccessible because the people who kind of put it out there are not very favorable for a large mass of the audience and that sort of stuff other people um kind of jump on a soapbox a bit and make everyone feel a little bit kind of imposter syndrome but you guys for two reasons basically your your personalities i think are great and it's i mean i don't know we're biased with the uk we love listening to aussies it's just kind of like we want to go and have a beer with you guys it's just kind of you guys can walk in anywhere and we take you and say yeah let's go out for a beer but the second thing i think is the fact you're kind of pilates teachers we don't expect that it's kind of like it's almost as if if it's a physio for sports therapists, it's like, oh, here we go again. It's going to be physios putting us down. They think we're just massage therapists. But there's something very humble about um, kind of Pilates-centered folk um, telling us these things, giving us the same message that's out there from a few other people, but in a way that seems much less scary. Um, are you quite alone in terms of the Pilates community? Are you giving out – I mean, do you do you still get Christmas cards from Stop Pilates and people like that, or have you severed some ties there? Um, well, that's another thing that's really surprised us is the basically the almost complete absence of any pushback. So, you know, if for those of you listening or watching, you know, if you haven't listened to our podcast, um, basic it's called Pilates Elephants, and what we basically do is we talk about the elephants in the room in the Pilates world, the the things that are a bit taboo to talk about or to question. You know, the 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 the, the received wisdom that is, you know, handed down from the ancestors that um, everyone does it this way. And we, we ask questions, you know, things like that people always associate with Pilates, like posture and core stability and muscle balance and, you know, stuff like that. And we just ask, oh, is posture still important for, you know, helping low back pain or is core stability still really a thing? You know, what's the science on that? And so we just, we ask, we voice these questions and it's, you know, somewhat heretical in the Pilates world, you know, to ask this because these things form the, really the, 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 the core of, you know, pun intended, of, a, you know, most Pilates curricula and the core kind of belief system, like, you know, most Pilates, or not, maybe not most, a lot of Pilates studios have words like core or posture or whatever in the name of the, you know, core control Pilates studio or whatever, like, it's it's so integral in the, in the belief system of Pilates. And we're questioning this. So, you know, we expected a lot of pushback and a lot of angry emails and, you know, Facebook comments and whatever, but we really have had essentially zero. I think on on the Apple Podcasts app, we've got like a hundred and something reviews, and like three of them are one star, and the other, you know, ninety seven are five star. Um, and so, yeah, and so I, it's yeah, it's been. Um, I mean, I don't know how the folk at Stock Pilates feel about me. Like they probably blissfully unaware, but um, I, I haven't haven't been the recipient of any ill will. <laughs> So yeah, I feel like it, the 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 zeitgeist, you know, the kind of public 
you know, thought cloud is the culture is changing. You know, like 10 years ago, I think, yeah, probably I would have got a lot of hate mail for what I'm, what I say, but now not so. Yeah. I'd agree with you. It's definitely, it's the right time now for people who are good educators, healthy educators who know how to give out information without feeling superior and to kind of make people realize that they're on the same kind of level um, it's, a, it's a great time now people are thirsty for information but it's still got to be presented in the right way which i think what yeah you guys are, are managing to do um and also mate you, you got some if you, people who haven't seen um the episodes that are available i don't know who writes your taglines or, or who, who uh, kind of comes up the names but with things like imposture syndrome i mean that was just episode two that was you getting warmed up which was great im and then posture um, you had um, fascia nating, which was, again, fantastic episode. And like you say, it does cover areas which are, are core to Pilates, but it's core to healthcare, full stop, I think, particularly. Everything you've mentioned is so um, relevant for soft tissue therapists as well, because there's still, like we were saying off air, there's still courses out there which, um, whether you're level three or level four, in, in theory, a more advanced course looking after injured people, mm-hmm. you're still doing postural assessments and potentially thinking that the reason pain's there is because one shoulder's higher than the other or one leg's longer than the other. We're still doing all of the orthopedic tests, like the stalk test to diagnose whether or to suggest that the sacroiliac joint is is dysfunctioning. And all of these things, we're still telling patients that there's potentially it's because they've got degeneration without thinking the 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 how that kind of vocabulary and that tone could affect the patient on a subconscious level it's still all being taught. So it's um, that's why I think your podcast is going to be so relevant for soft tissue therapists because bit by bit, gently, it just shows, you know what, let's just tweak this a bit. Something else I really like about it, and I think people will pick up on is, is that you guys um, are very happy to say, we used to do that. We used to think that. Yeah, I think that's really important as well. Um, I loved it when you referred back to, because this reminded me as well, the magic circle. I used I used to teach classes myself as well like 10 15 years ago when les mills was really big and it was all like i think i did body combat six or something it was like i'm showing my age now but so that was when pilates was really big as well um and i remember i, I laughed out loud when you started talking about the 101 ways to use your magic circle and all of that because that's traditional pilates i think that's what people think it is but one of the things i want to ask you about um is because it's going to interest these people has how much has pilates moved on in terms of it can actually help athletes now you've got an episode on this but do you see pilates helping athletes more now than the traditional kind of group of i don't know middle-aged less mobile people who need to kind of strengthen their core uh well i don't know i mean i think there's definitely been a shift in Pilates and, and I'm thinking more particularly in Australia. Like I'm not really familiar with the UK or European Pilates scene or even the US scene to a certain degree. But I think in Australia, Pilates has certainly become more democratised and it's not just the the province of sort of like, you know, elderly rich folk anymore. Um, it's, it's for, you know, people of all ages, all shapes, um, all genders, although, you know, in Australia, it's still predominantly female, but, you know, there's an increasing number of men doing it as well. So I think in in that sense, Pilates has become a lot more accessible and it's kind of for everybody. Um, uh, but in terms of like specifically for athletes, I think like, well, if, it, if you're, and so just for a tiny bit of context, I'm, I'm a Pilates teacher and I also have a bachelor's degree in exercise and sports science and a master's in clinical exercise physiology so i know a little bit about athletes it's not my kind of specialty but um you know to to become a better athlete what you you really need to do athletic training i mean you need to you know work on explosive power and speed you know maximum strength these types of things and uh you know most of that you really can't do inside a pilates studio you know i mean if i want to become a better sprinter I need to be able to squat, you know, double body weight. And, you know, that's, there's just no facility inside a Pilates studio to, to achieve that. Um, but having said that, there are some areas where we can help athletes as, as Pilates instructors, and that is uh, probably an injury prevention. So we know that, you know, for, for, 
for instance, in for running athletes like soccer players, I guess what you call football, um, uh, and sprinters and things, hamstring tears are a real, you know, real big issue that take a lot of players out of sport, out of competition, um, and uh, you know, preventative strengthening is, you know, very effective at reducing the incidence of of hamstring injuries. So, and that's something we can absolutely do in in Pilates. Uh, space so you know and there are other examples um, in other body parts but basically yeah i think there's a place for pilates as an injury prevention sort of supplement for athletes but in terms of can we actually make them better athletes yeah probably not they probably need to just go and do some sport specific strength and conditioning i think for that how about um the reformer for me something that i discovered totally changed everything and i think a lot of people aren't that aware of it is how challenging some exercises can be once you kind of move up a level and move away from the mat and the magic circle. And we, we had um, Liz Bailey um, who works um, very high up as a physio and sports therapist um, with dancers, including a lot of West End shows. Um, and she is a devout kind of disciple of using the reformer in terms of reducing risk of injury and rehabilitating injury. She loves it. She's got loads of videos out there, but um can the reformer help more people if they get into it than, than people would imagine? Is that where Pilates really starts kind of mirroring what kind of Joseph planned when he was kind of coming up with his ideas? Um, well, yeah, funnily, uh, you know, Joseph's studio, or he called it a gym actually, in New York was based around a reformer. Like, so when you went there, you know, back in the sort of late 50s, early 60s, you, the first thing you did was you got on a reformer and you did your full workout and you used the other equipment, you know, the Cadillac and the mat and the, the, the barrels and so forth. You used that one if all the reformers were taken and you couldn't get on a reformer. Or sometimes Joe would come around and give you a, like a special exercise to do at the end. If you were having trouble with some particular reformer exercise, he might give you some version of that on the Cadillac or something to kind of help you, you know, master it. So the reformer was really seen as the core of the workout. Um, in, in Joe's day. And, uh, you know, and in Australia now, and I, I believe a lot in the UK as well, that is now becoming, you know, the norm as well. So we're seeing, you know, the, in the early 2000s, the Pilates studio was you know, mat based, and then there was sort of the equipment out in the back room with the Cadillacs and the reformers and all that. Um, but now, it, you know, most Pilates studios in Australia are just reformer only, you know, no mat, no Cadillac, no nothing else. And uh, I think that's contributed to the, the massive increase in popularity in Australia. It just makes it so much more accessible because the reformer, I think of all of the pieces of equipment, I don't know if it's the most versatile, but I, I, it's certainly the most fun piece of equipment um, in Pilates. Uh, and there's just, I guess it is incredibly versatile. I'm seeing, I'm seeing you know, there's an explosion on social media um, in my social media bubble anyway, of people just doing incredibly creative, you know, things with the reformer that Joseph never thought up. Um, and it's it's not even like, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, everyone on the reformer was just doing Joseph's original choreography. You know, 10 years ago with the rise of the group reformer, you know, um, kind of mode of Pilates, we started seeing a lot of kind of gym-based exercises on the reformer. So people using a reformer kind of like they would use a pulley machine in the gym to do like flies and bicep curls and things like that. Um, and now what we're seeing is just it's become its own kind of art form and people are adapting it and doing things that you can do on a reformer, but you couldn't do on a pulley machine or you couldn't do on a Cadillac uh, because of the moving carriage and because of the straps and the the platform and using boxes in really creative ways. So I'm really excited by what I'm seeing there. And I think there's, you know, I think there's a lot more to unfold in terms of the reformer. And I think the reformer, at least for the next 10 years, uh, in my view, is 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 going to be the heart of Pilates and, and what's going to, you know, explode um, the industry. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would check out, people listening to the podcast, soft tissue therapists out there, um, if you've got a, um, a colleague who is a Pilates teacher and they've got reformers in their studio, then go and check them out. They'll give you a tour. Jump on one. Show that there's so many, like like uh, Raf has said, it's so easy to tweak it and change it depending on what you think 
how you've assessed your client what you think they'd benefit from and uh, with resistance and it's hard as well i mean now it's all kind of like loading and okay you might not reach as much as squatting you know double your weight but you can definitely reach fatigue which is what we're normally trying to do with a lot of clients you know within a sensible rep range so um sandy here do you know sandy key seems very knowledgeable sandy um sandy keen laughed at me mentioning that i taught les mills i know it was a long time back and i needed the money but um yeah the first thing you did in joe's was to be assessed which is interesting as well is because it's like i i give running gate analysis and i've got a lovely lab with loads of data and stuff but what i tell you know the success of the session with me is only as good as how i interpret the data and i'm sure it's very similar with pilates you can have some great equipment and access to all these things but if you're basing it on for example we need to stimulate these particular muscles first of all before you move then the whole thing kind of goes out the window doesn't it which brings me on to that the topic of core stability which you did a fantastic episode on um i think it was just called wtf is core stability which was great great title um but again i encourage people to have a listen to it because it's not just laughing at anyone who uses core stability it's talking about the research it's talking about how things developed and changed and there's this lovely back and fro kind of conversation between raf and chloe um to extract the information in a really nice accessible way so but for people who aren't aware of, and I always hope there's people listening to podcasts who think, what's wrong with core stability? I do core stability. I get people standing on wobble boards all the time. It's how it works. How has core stability kind of changed since you have were first using the term and directing your patients or clients to do things? Uh, well, I think, um, you know, when I grew up in the movement world in the early 2000s, um, core stability was just the central concept of all movement and health professionals. Um, and it, it came out of the re some research in the late nineties in, in Australia here at the university of Queensland by Hodges, Hydes, uh, Richardson and Joel. And they found that, um, people with low, they, they had some second year university students who they were experimenting on and they got them to uh, they put emgs like muscle electromyographs on their multifidus and their transverse abdominus uh, muscle and then got them to raise their arm and they measure and, and also on their deltoid and got them to raise their arm and, and they noticed that the people with low back pain their deltoid fired first and their transversus fired second whereas with the people without low back pain their transversus abdominus fired first and their deltoid fired second they also did some, you know, standing on one leg, lifting the other leg and measured, you know, multi-fitness activation. And so, you know, a lot of people got very excited by that concept and thought like, okay, well, if, if in people with back pain, transversus abdominis is firing late, well, if we can fix that and we can teach them to fire it earlier, you know, voila, we can fix no more back pain, you know, all gone. Um, and so, you know, whole systems, in fact, hides, Hodges and Richardson, you know, put out a book called something, I can't remember exactly the title. It was basically how to do core stabilization, how to activate people's transverse abdominus using real-time ultrasound and, you know, pressure biofeedback and all of that stuff. So, you know, when I was teaching, uh, when I was teaching Pilates in the mid, even in the late 2000s, even in the early 2010s, we were having people sort of lie prone or supine sorry on a on a pressure biofeedback cuff kind of like a little blood pressure cuff with a pressure gauge on it that measured how hard they were pressing into the the mat under their low back and you would ask them to you know move their arm or move their leg or whatever whilst keeping the pressure on the gauge within you know a certain millimeters of mercury or psi or whatever it was uh, and so to you know basically control their core you know um and so that was the kind of the segmental stability approach. And so we did heaps of that. And I remember people, you know, having clients lying, side lying on the Cadillac and putting my finger on their left L45 multifidus and saying, can you, you know, can you swell this muscle into my finger, you know, without moving your pelvis? And, you know, so all kinds of like super detailed muscle activation things. Um, and, but it, you know, as the as time went on, starting around two thousand and six, um, you know, there was heaps more research. And starting around two thousand and six, there was a, the first systematic review came out of the literature on core stability. So basically, 
transversus abdominis and multifidus activation for low back pain. Uh, and it found that the trans when you add core stability training to regular exercise, it was no more effective than just doing the regular exercise. You know, just doing some like some crunches and some squats and some push-ups or whatever. Um, and you know, there were uh, there's been a bunch more systematic reviews. I think six or seven or maybe even eight now. And basically, they've all found no benefit of adding core stability you know training to just i mean yeah it, if you do core stability training with someone with low back pain it helps but so does just going for a walk or doing some heavy deadlifts or you know <laughs> going going to the local ymca and getting the most generic program from the first year work experience kid you know <laughs> so um so uh i guess what i've you know the way i've come to view it is like okay it's a form of exercise just like any other form of exercise and it's no better or worse than any other form of exercise in terms of its effect on helping people with low back pain but uh to me it just seems like well if you can get the same result by just doing some push-ups it's a lot simpler you know <laughs> why wouldn't you just do the push-ups <laughs> you know why why spend months learning how to activate your left l45 multifidus when you could just go for a walk instead and get the same benefit <laughs> So I guess that's where I've come to with it. So it's, has it changed? Uh, I don't know if it's changed. I think in my view and in the view, I think of the scientific community, it's really just kind of gone out of fashion um, rather than changed as such. Yeah, great breakdown of it, definitely. Um, and it's worth mentioning again that Hodges's work at the time was like revolutionary. He's one of the great thinkers. It was incredible. And you got and the idea of putting like cuffs down to measure that it's just brilliant. But then even Hodges came out, I can't remember how many years later and kind of said, actually, we didn't quite, yeah, we might have over kind of you know, the importance of what we thought at the time wasn't quite as important. And, but by then it was too late, wasn't it? You had the DVDs, the books and the workshops and the whole kind of like, schools right. it was like sorry hodges i appreciate you changing your mind now but a bit too late it's like a gil headley moment with the fuzz and like i'm afraid you have to be dead for this stuff to actually kind of like but um but yes that's the problem but i'm interested because along with this kind of activation of the core muscles you had this idea of the neutral pelvis to help it and everybody kind of like tilting slightly before they lifted and moved their legs and how much for some people if you take that out of traditional Pilates, and this is going to show my ignorance of modern Pilates, take that away from Pilates, take out the neutral spine, the engage these muscles, pull your belly button in like there's a bit of cotton kind of pulling it away. Take that out. What What's left that you can call Pilates? Huh. Um, well, uh, funnily enough, uh, just about all of it. Um, so the a little kind of mini history of pilates is uh, Joseph, joseph pilates was the fellow who you know made it up it's named after him actually but he didn't call it pilates he called it contrology um and so he he published his book return to life through contrology i think in 1947 um from from memory and then he had a gym in in new york from round about then till about 67 i think he passed away um and so his uh his view of contrology was that it was it's a whole body exercise method and it's a vigorous exercise method and in fact he specifically says in his book return to life that pilates is not about um training you know preferentially this or that pet set of muscles rather it's for the uniform development of the body as a whole so in his book uh, which gives very specific instructions on how to perform all of the contrology exercises um, he never mentions the name of a single muscle once um, there's a couple of times where he says you know oh, this you know at the end of the exercise he's given you all the instructions and he says oh you know this exercise is good for the abdominals or you know this exercise is good for the arm muscles <laughs> um but he's never more specific than just generic the abdominals or you know the arm muscles or whatever um and he never tells you he never gives any instruction on you know you need to activate this muscle or we're targeting this muscle or anything like that um so he gives very precise instructions on the on the position 
for the exercises so that, you know, where your spine is and where your head is and where your toes are and where you, you know, those kinds of things, whether your arms are straight or bent, those kinds of things. Um, but none of it is related to, you know, this idea of stability or activation. It's just like this is the position for the exercise. You know, just like if you went to a martial arts class and they were teaching you how to do a particular technique it's like well this is the position for this technique you know or if you went to a tango class it's like this is the position for the tango you know and this is the position for this pilates exercise and so in the in the sort of years between the kind of the the late 60s when joseph died and then kind of the the 80s when romana krasinowska was the the head of pilates she was a dancer uh and an amazing mover and she really put her own stamp on pilates and it, that's when it became much more dance-like um and uh a lot of the ideas that we have in pilates now sort of orig- stem from romana's influence so the idea of um you know um i think you know i mean joseph was very into posture certainly but this the idea of um I guess I'm, I'm, I think probably the idea actually pelvic, of pelvic tilt came even after Romana, sorry. So um, after the next era, after Romana's era was um, kind of, and, and Romana, Romana was the, you know, I guess I would call Joseph's era the contrology era. And then Romana's era was the, the classical era. Um, and so people who say they're trained in classical Pilates, it's, you know, generally mean that they come from a Romana. Um, background and then in the mid 90s up to the mid 2000s early 2000s is what i would call a contemporary era of pilates and contemporary you know the literal definition of the word means like you know current you know at the same time but there's a it's actually uh semi-ironic that contemporary pilates you know self-named contemporary pilates so a lot of people who teach pilates would self describe as i'm a contemporary pilates teacher it's become a style of describes a style of pilates that was contemporary in the mid 1990s up to the early 2000s where there was all this research coming out uh, from the physiotherapy world and the biomechanics world about uh you know if you if you go back to you know 2001 and go okay what was the scientific you know opinion on low back pain it was all about neutral spine and multifidus activation and bracing the core and all of that stuff and that all kind of came was infused into pilates by the people who were trained by romana so the next generation after romana when they set up their own pilates education you know like morris stott who you know started stop pilates for example mm. you know they they brought in all that physiotherapy and that was all current at the time it was quote contemporary um but the thing is it's the contemporary pilates folk have kind of you know, ironically, not remained contemporary because the science has moved on. Mm. And now, you know, all that sort of circa 2001 science has been baked into the very DNA of the contemporary Pilates method. So we think like Pilates is synonymous with neutral spine and core activation, whereas in reality, that was just like one particular moment Mm. in history where, you know, it's like, and somehow... In Pilates, a lot of us have just got stuck in that moment. <laughs> that's so interesting. That's 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 going to be gold dust to a lot of people because I think that's I don't know, like in the UK, that's I think everyone's vision of Pilates. It's like yeah, stuck in that era of neutral pelvis and all this, and yeah. But in fact, really, then Joseph would be applauding the fact we're moving on from that now, probably going back to principles that he was embracing, like in the forties, with using the whole body and. I believe so. I mean, if you if you if if you're watching this and you're curious, or you're listening to this and you're curious, just go on YouTube and type in Joseph Pilates teaching Pilates, right? And you or Joseph Pilates doing Pilates, right? And you'll come with some videos. It's plainly a very vigorous whole body method. The way that he teaches it, it's it's not super detailed on you've got to activate this muscle or that. You know, the way that he cues, the way that he moves himself, it's very obvious that that was his philosophy. Again, fantastic mind. I think around the same period, Moshe Feldenkrais was kind of playing around with movement as well. I'm not sure if they ever met each other. I think I saw a photo of them both together. But yeah, the same kind of thing. And I love looking at the, these 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 things they were coming up with that 
probably 60 years late or more 70 years later we're now actually thinking especially when we look at the biopsychosocial model of how the metaphors we use giving something that the patient can understand when it comes to movement you know talking mm -hmm. in a way that makes sense is so important for when we're training people and trying to get them to move a new way or a novel way or, or, or modify symptoms and um, they were so ahead of their times well that's great we'll make sure that um, that goes into the notes as well so a few videos to see um joseph in action um right i've got a few questions here if that's all right with you raf um they're starting sure. to flood in now there was this lovely silence where it all went quiet in the chat room which means people are basically just transfixed and taking notes and so um i appreciate people have now put some questions down let's have a little look Matt Scarsbrook, how are you doing, Matt, for the Massage Collective, who actually guests next week? That's funny enough. Matt, just a little reminder there next week, Tuesday, 8 o'clock. Um, let's have a look. Matt says, question, in soft tissue massage therapy, we discuss different modalities slash techniques are simply different ways of providing the same thing, therapeutic touch. In your view, this is for you, Raf, does Pilates fit this description, one way of many to increase strength and mobility or does it provide a unique benefit to practitioners that can't be achieved with other practices no i don't think it does provide a unique benefit i think that the 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 evidence uh, that we have on helping people with pain and injury is you know strongly converging towards there being a single uh sort of guideline around best practice which is um you know reassuring people addressing psychosocial factors and you know promoting physical activity in whatever shape or form um, and that could take the form of pilates it could take the form of going to the gym it could take the form of gardening or going for a walk you know horse riding like there really is no um there's no defensible way to claim that any particular form of exercise is superior to another in terms of rehabilitation or helping people with pain um but you know having said that i just want to put an asterisk on that because it's really easy and i i've, I've experienced it myself and i see a lot of people also experience this that when we start to realize like well oh holy crap you know what we do doesn't have any special magical power to it it's just like a combination of you know human interaction plus reassurance plus getting and getting moving <laughs> building confidence back in their body you know and there's no special magic about the way i activated that muscle or this particular exercise we did people can easily fall into a sort of a nihilistic trap of sort of despair where it's you sort of think like oh well if everything works the same you know what you know what the fuck am i you know why do i bother why not just tell them to go for a walk <laughs> and send them home and and the reality is that we are incredibly valuable as practitioners because people you know need guidance they need you know sometimes they need touch they need you know people to to be to reassure them to give them confidence to help them you know find the path but it's like whether you do that through pilates or yoga or horse riding it's like it, it doesn't really matter you know it's all just as good you know Excellent. why do pilates well if you like pilates do pilates yeah great brilliant answer i'm sure matt is clapping away there it was a very leading question for you matt i could hear your brain ticking over you're trying to push your effort into a corner there and then come back with a retort well you can't retort now matt but i think you guessed that with this I, I refuse to be cornered <laughs> no it's great it's really good and in fact it leads in with what fiona says here it was fiona who um was a guest two weeks ago i think um it's the, it's the episode which is brought with the guests in now um fiona says um rafael you mentioned that pilates work might not improve performance but i wonder if the bps model might just disagree i.e there must uh, be a psychological benefit and maybe novel movements that can help so think of what you've just kind of said isn't it if the person enjoys pilates and they believe that this is what they need and that could have benefits which maybe horse riding won't um yeah, I guess, uh, Fiona, great question. I think there's there's definitely some nuance to this. And so we're thinking now in terms of athletic performance, right? So if I'm if I'm a, a footballer or a sprinter or a weightlifter or something like that, and I want to improve my performance, you know, could I get benefit by, you know, would I would it be beneficial to me to do Pilates? And I have to say that there's the the thing that uh, so, so I have to concede that you're, you know, quite possibly there's value in what you say there in terms of 
okay, there might be value in me sort of gaining confidence or just having a some mental time out from doing my normal training routine like that that all of those things might uh, conceivably enhance performance. But then there's also an opportunity cost, right? So if you're if you're a high level athlete, you've got a certain amount of time, a certain amount of energy and ability to recover. Um, and, you know, a lot of professional athletes, unless they're at the truly elite level where they're just full-time professional athletes, you know, most of them still have to go to school or work or look after kids or whatever. So your time is, is a limited and scarce resource. And, you know, if you want to perform at the highest level, well, you need, you know, the every hour, if you spend an hour doing Pilates, that's an hour you're not spending doing, say, strength and conditioning or technique practice or, you know, strategy for your match play or something like that. And so, yeah, there might be some benefit to doing Pilates, but then there's also a cost, you know, which is, you know, what are you not doing? Um, and there is some literature on this. And what we find is that, um, uh, you know, when we, it's not necessarily specific to Pilates, but it's around kind of core stability training for athletes. And what we find is that it basically has a neutral effect on performance. You know, it doesn't doesn't seem you know doesn't seem to particularly benefit benefit performance, um, or maybe there's a slight benefit, but it's it's a very compared to the amount of time that is invested. You know, I think it's it's pretty easy to argue that there would be a bigger benefit if you just went and did some double body weight squats for that same amount of time. You would you know, enhance your sprint performance more. There you go. Come back for you only if you've got to apply to that. It's so tricky measuring performance, isn't it? There's so many other factors. Um, but yeah, Fiona, waiting for your reply to that. Um, and that's that's why I like sprinting because sprinting is really easy. There's no extraneous variables like people tackling you or strategy. Mm. It's just like how fast can you run down a hundred meter track? Whereas when we start talking about things like soccer, there's communication, there's teamwork, there's you know the opponents, there's all all of these other variables. So it's very yeah, hard definitely. Yeah, great point. Um, I'm not sure if it's Maeve or Marv. I'm sorry for my pronunciation. Maeve, 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 Maeve. We'll go with Maeve. Uh, Maeve says, I think Maeve's referring to episode 14, the um, WTF core stability. We're British here. We can't actually say what WTF stands for. WTF uh, core stability says uh, that was an absolutely brilliant podcast um and continues i too graduated from physio school in 2000 and then spent thousands on kinetic control and motor control courses and then years trying to get patients to activate their transepts then i read leiderman's article um which is the collapse of the posture structural model or something like that which is great the, the um, fall of the postural statement. structural biomechanical model that's it you got a better memory than me that was the one yeah yeah fantastic collection of papers and studies which kind of undo gently a lot of the stuff we kind of um, take as, as as gospel um haven't mentioned trans abs or core stability for years now exclamation mark she's i remember those days well i was personal training i did nasm which was kind of one of those i think from, well, it was from california because i went over to see them which was the same time as paul check and it was always get them to do like a stability ball press up first of all or something or push up and then get them on the bench because you've activated the trans first and then go back finish off with some core activation exercises did that for about four years thinking i was absolutely the dog's bees because it was state of art technology and charged people a fortune probably had more than I ever did in my life and then slowly but surely realized that okay maybe doing a squat on a football is not such a good idea a few lawsuits and stuff um but yeah very good, Maeve. Good, good question, Maeve. Let me know how I pronounce your name. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing it wrong. Um, Maeve continues, even the term core stability drives me nuts now, promotes the concept that the spine is unstable and most certainly not. So this is true. This is another thing, isn't it, which I want to touch on if we can, kind of with modern concepts from pain science. And I know you've had um, a couple of guests now um, on your podcast talking about uh, pain you had bronnie lennox in 51 and then last week you had brendan moat mount mount moat moat there you go um and yeah one of the things that's definitely surfaced with it, understanding how pain is an output it can be affected by all different types of sensory input including the language which we give patients is the importance of words i think that's why core stability has kind of come up to under a lot of attack so I'm interested, um, if I may, Rafa, how much do you, in, in the Pilates courses, which you um, kind of offer and you're training the world, 
how much does the, the language you use, how much has it changed since the early days? And do you think that a Pilates instructor to work at their full potential, a modern Pilates instructor needs to think about the language they're using and have an understanding of how that could increase pain output? Uh, yes, yeah, so my language has changed very drastically. I used to be, you know, like Maeve, um, all about instructing people in their multifidus. They're now telling which muscles to contract before we move. So before you move here, first you want to enjoy your belly button very gently, blah, blah, blah. Um, and uh, now, I, you know, over the years, over the decades I've been teaching now and uh, reading a lot of research, and now I feel like I'm fairly much up to date with research in these areas, uh, both in terms of um, the sort of the placebo slash nocebo that you're talking about, and also just in terms of the research on motor control and motor learning. Um, that uh, so you know, firstly, the, the motor learning research really is you know pretty clear at the moment. I'd say there's a pr almost an overwhelming weight of literature in the motor learning field that external focus of attention cues are more effective at promoting um, skillful movement than it's than cues which focus the person's attention inside their body so rather than saying you know draw up your belly button and you know squeeze your quads and glutes to press the carriage out okay just say push the carriage out you know because that mm -hmm. way it, instead of focusing on your quads and glutes and transversus you're focusing, focusing on the carriage right and which is outside your body and that uh, seems very clearly to promote more skillful movement. And by more skillful, uh, you know, we generally understand more automatic, you know, less required for conscious attention, more efficient. So, you know, less effort to do the same movement um, and, um, you know, more accurate. So there's a whole bunch of things that go into skillful, but, you know, those are the main things. So, mm -hmm. so definitely these days we're using more external focused um, cues and we, that's what we teach in our training programs um, you know uh, and then secondly just in terms of the the sort of effect that our words can have on people's thinking and emotions and then experience of pain that's also well documented that uh, you know the words that we use can you know meaningfully and powerfully affect people's not just you know their emotions around pain but actually their levels of pain like on a scale of one to ten how much pain do you have in your back right now you know we can actually increase or decrease those that pain oftentimes by just the words that we use and there's quite a bit of literature on this so um basically uh our you know the the way that we approach pain and when, when we're talking about um pain in the context of we teach a clinical Pilates diploma, so people are, are learning to work with clients who come because they have pain. Um, and is basically, you know, we certainly listen to the client at the beginning and we, you know, we hear their story and we ask, ask them a whole bunch of questions about symptoms and history and all of that stuff. But then, you know, once we start, you know, working with them, we, we focus away from the pain. So we'll focus rather than saying, you know, how's your back in this exercise we'll say hey do you reckon you can do another five reps you know so we'll we, we move away from you know and when they come in next week to see them, we to go oh how's your back been we just go hey how are you doing today you know did you have a good morning um so did you do your exercises <laughs> uh you know so we, we we basically you know and and everybody out there who's who's got or had a young child knows the power of distraction right so <laughs> just focus on something else <laughs> it's and it's also well documented in literature right if the more you focus on the pain if, if, if you know like we've all had the experience i think of asking the client oh, how's your neck today and then we see the client like move their neck around and go yeah how is my neck oh can i make it hurt oh yeah it hurts when i do this <laughs> and it's like well why go looking for it you know <laughs> so yeah we we definitely uh make a point of focusing on more functional goals like can you do another five reps oh look you're getting stronger did you do your exercises those kinds of things rather than you know talking about pain excellent um it definitely sounds like um there's a huge amount of modern information which you're kind of giving instructors if pilates instructors that seems so relevant and it's great as well because i've always it's a bit like soft tissue therapists soft tissue therapists 
enjoy making a living of putting their hands on people, strangers, which a lot of people don't like. And I always kind of say to them, look, don't you are blessed. You've already you've already altruistic enough to want to rub kind of hot sweaty backs with that hair going between your fingers and oil and it's like not a lot of people want to massage feet for a living you know so that's your gift just because we're tweaking the mechanism of effect what we think is going on under our hands is something else you know you are a fantastic person for wanting to do this um and then i think it's similar with pilates instructors i don't know whether you've found this just because it's changed i've always found pilates instructors just have that knack of being able to say the right thing at the right time and that intuition of using the language properly. I always remember, again, back in the 2000s, and I've used it ever since about that idea of, for example, blowing a candle, but not so it goes out, just for it enough to flicker. Something as simple as that to make someone actually think about. And again, it's an external cue, like you say, you know, just that it's beautiful. And we're seeing more and more again that these metaphors, especially if the clients can actually invent it themselves, are just huge in being able to change behavior. Um, so I imagine with Pilates instructors, yeah, they're already a great bunch of people who have got that intuition and they like using words and metaphors and things to try and get people to move in novel ways. So, yeah, fantastic stuff. I'm excited about rekindling some kind of um, relationships with Pilates teachers. I can't wait. Um, um, just, I'm sorry. I know we've got to finish in a sec, but there's just yeah. something you said there that I really like to um, just unpack just in a small way. Yes. So, um uh, not many people know this, but I actually have a diploma in massage and I was a manual therapist for a while. Um, and so I fancied that I could, you know, palpate, you know, vertebrae and transverse processes, whatever that word, you know, misaligned or, you know, trigger points in people's muscle or whatever. And, you know, that I could then, you know, magic them away with my magic touch. Um and I was very, you know, I got great results. Clients used to, you know, love love getting massage. Um, and since reading a lot of literature, so I've let my license lapse and I no longer practice manual therapy. But um, since reading the literature, there is, I, I, my belief is that there is definitely a value, and I guess it's, it's quite supported by some literature. So there's definitely a value in manual therapy uh, for, you know, things like neck pain, um, back pain, et cetera. But the, the, what we see is that the mechanism is just not what we thought it was. So we're not actually releasing knots in muscles or realigning vertebrae or whatever. And because like when we see like when physiotherapists and osteopaths give an adjustment to the specific vertebra that is painful, it works. And if they give an just adjustment like three levels higher, it also works just as well, you know. Or if they give just a gen, you know, push on the lower back in a general way, that also works just as well. Um, and so I, I now am still a massive advocate of massage. And whenever I've got a sore neck, the first thing I do is go to my wife and ask her for a massage. <laughs> but but I now just think like well, there's no, the, the skill doesn't reside in feeling which trigger point is active or whatever. It resides in the in the therapeutic touch, which you know, you know, communicates care and empathy and which just provides, you know, maybe some general uh, non-nociceptic, you know, in input to the nervous system and you know so they're valuable but just not for the reasons that we thought perhaps yeah no definitely um and it's yeah and it's so important that therapists who are kind of thinking oh i've got to throw everything out now listen back to that and realize that yeah the skills may have changed what we think is happening under our fingers has changed but you're still doing the same thing and you're still for the moment that client walks through the door, greeting them and looking after them and showing the empathy and having that conversation and everything is still all there. Um, cause, uh, do you get students who read what you're saying and hear the kind of tweaking you're doing to what they originally um, kind of studied and paid probably a lot of money for? Is there kind of a stage of anger or kind of depression that they go through before being able to adjust? Is that something you see? Because we see it a lot in soft tissue therapy. Does that to Pilates tutors as well? Uh, we used to, and I, maybe like three, four years ago. And I, th I think the reason we're not getting that anymore is probably partly because the whole zeitgeist is changing and there's a lot more of that. Uh, on social media from, you know, pretty reputable sources like trust me, I'm a physiotherapist or physio network or, you know, things like that. So it's just kind of more culturally acceptable. And also I think we've got a bit better at not being so confrontational with people and presenting the information in a way that is respectful of their 
you know, present beliefs and 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 doesn't denigrate their, you know, previous, you know, ways of thinking. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, I think, uh, yeah, these days we get very little, very little angst about it all. Cool. It's probably the, the thing which I suspect is again the way you present it. It depends how you reach out to people and tweak it. We have got a big problem in soft tissue therapy. If, like we were talking a bit off air of people trying to dispel being conduits for new information, but just shouting a bit too loud from the rooftops, and just kind of like shaking fists a little bit or smiling and laughing. And I've tried to ban the emoji um, kind of laughter thing from, from Facebook comments, but it's not really working. I just find that that can wind people up as well. When people write a comment and everyone laughs kind of thing, like, Oh, everyone, but no one believes that you do this anymore. And I think that yeah. can scare your therapists. Agreed. I, I, I mean, I've, I've been guilty of, you know, putting a laughter emoticon in the comments when someone sort of, you know, disparaged some kind of dinosaur of, you know, bio, biomedical thinking. Um, but the last year or so, I've really come to the view that that's not helpful. And I've actually just unfollowed and blocked all of those people who uh, on social media, you know, are in the kind of, quote, evidence-based pain science crowd but their their main kind of theme is they just kind of disparage and make fun of people who aren't you know in that crowd i, I don't think that's really helpful I, I i think it's just unkind and we can we can be you know we can be supportive and respectful and at the same time you know respectfully disagree <laughs> with you know with 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 people and, and i think that even people who are like you know massively biomechanically oriented and just saying okay your back pain is 100 percent caused by your disc being misaligned or whatever it's like okay well there's some nocebo in that for sure but like those people i'm i'm pretty certain also are doing a lot of things right with their clients like they're probably also building a great therapeutic alliance and getting them moving and you know building confidence in other ways by getting them stronger like i'm sure there's a lot of value in what they're providing and so I think, yeah, just disparaging people and putting them down and laughing at them isn't isn't really helping anyone. Although it does provide sort of momentary relief, I think that it's 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 not helpful. Yes, and Fiona's jumped in here saying, "Yes, learning environments need to nurture discussion, not shut it down with humiliating others." Yeah. Well, Agree, I think a lot of people don't realise they're doing it. You know, I think it's part of how you react when you've you know discover something new it's like you celebrate it by kind of just showing that you're there and but it's yeah it's tricky for the masses of people out there who aren't enlightened yet and we are just a drop in the ocean i'm afraid people and we have to remember that um but anyway well look oh look at the time it's um oh i've already kept you three minutes over than what i promised i'm afraid rafa so thank you so much for that um just to remind people i know there's other questions out there i'm sorry about that people i've managed to get to a few of them um but what I'll do is I'll forward in an email any other questions there to Rafa and I'll put some question, uh, answers down in here for you. And uh, let's get rid of that a second. Right. So just um, before we head off, just to remind you guys, I'll put it up on the screen for those of you watching from your homes. Um, if you're interested in seeing more information about the website and the Pilates courses and the training, it's all done online. Then uh, make sure you head to breathe with an E, B-R-E-A-T-H-E dot edu dot au so it's breathe dot edu dot au and the website there's got a load of information on there including something which is worth downloading now um, a, a free report seven things you must know before you do a pilates course straight into that you'll get an, an idea of, of how modern this is um how contemporary this is i can't use that word anymore it means nothing but yeah um, the different take it is um and also um if you want to just dive straight into what i think is the equivalent of the first four seasons of lost in podcast version then um i would head to um pilates elephants on whatever podcast app you prefer to listen to and yeah i mean i warn you now kind of forget about your kids and partner for a while it is like a one after the other it's really nicely produced um and great banter and kind of sharing and uh, between chloe and raf and just covering these topics which people want to hear about especially if you're a little bit shy and not quite sure and you want to hear something that's not going to kind of make you feel threatened and all the imposter syndrome then this is one of the great resources which i'll be harping on about for the next month or so um so do check out that pilates elephant okay 
Raf, thank you so much. Um, what have you got planned for us today? I'm about to go to bed and crash out, but it's only like eight o'clock or something for you, isn't it? Yeah, it's just gone 8 a.m. Um, this has been awesome. I, I've really enjoyed our conversation. And thanks so much to everybody who's put in uh, comments and questions. And I'm sorry uh, we didn't get to answer all of them. Um, uh, what, am I, what have I got for the rest of the day? I don't know. My calendar is pretty packed, but it's it's a great day. Um, I just look at, I mean, I, um, I most people probably know me from the podcast, but I actually run a $5 million a year business, breathe education. And so most of my time is <laughs> meetings and strategy and stuff like that. Um, so I've probably got a bunch of those things um, happening today. Yeah, you've got a few other things to do apart from chatting to Chloe for an hour a week. Yeah, yeah, a little five million a year project thing going on. Um, great. No, I really appreciate it, Rafa. And um, if people want to follow you and um, kind of see what you're doing, are you particularly vocal on any of the social medias? Yeah, or... I'm, I'm on Instagram and I post very regularly on Instagram. And uh, basically what I try and do on Instagram is deliver a, a lecture, you know, like as in, uh, I give lectures within our programs, within our Diploma of Clinical Pilates. Uh, I try and give a little mini lecture because you get 10 slides in a carousel. <laughs> so I try and teach you something useful about how the body works or how pain works or whatever uh, in 10 slides. So um, if you're interested in pain, exercise, you know, movement science, or um, I also talk about Pilates business, um, follow me on Instagram. Brilliant um and um we'll make sure that links to all those social media go into the podcast notes and sandy Keane's giving something away here i'm not sure what it is Raphael. hope the 5th of november brings you some joy what's going on there yeah what is happening on the 5th of november oh we're getting out of lockdown actually sandy i think that's what you're referring to <laughs> but we're getting out of lockdown before that um i'm in melbourne and we've been yeah. in lockdown for it's months now that we've been yeah, like, yeah. we've had a curfew um you know, not allowed to leave the house except to go to the doctor, go to the supermarket or get vaxxed. Um, and uh, we're getting out. It's now Tuesday, Wednesday here. We're getting out the day after tomorrow. Oh, Holy good on you. That's, cow. Yeah. Like, this is going to be amazing. So, Sandy, if that's what you're referring to, thank you. <laughs> and if it was something else, please enlighten me. <laughs> right, people. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, Raf, don't go away yet. I'm going to close down so that everyone gets chucked out of here, but then I'll say goodbye to you um, in person. Next week, uh, Tuesday, back at the normal time at 8 o'clock um, UK time, then uh, we will have the Massage Collective in the house. Um, so it'll be Becky and Matt and Anna-Marie um, having a look at, basically it's a bit early, isn't it? It's not quite Christmas, but looking at kind of the year um, in terms of soft tissue therapy, what we've learned, um, pretty positive, really. What looking forwards... Um, therapy expo we'll a little chat about that what the massage collective are doing at therapy expo in november um and uh yeah having a nice chinwag which is always a pleasure with the uh, massage collectives that'll be um amory and becky and matt with us next tuesday at eight o'clock so make sure you join us for that but um that all said and done thanks again to my guest rafa bender um and thanks everyone for joining us live and uh yeah we'll see you next tuesday hopefully take care of each other You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about it.